Really good uh, comments uh, about chapter one. Chapter two is another wisdom lesson. It's got 22 lines corresponding to the number of letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Though it's not an acrostic, there are those some alphabetic features that kind of divide this up into sections. I won't go through all that. I don't think that'll be helpful, but we will study it by those sections at least. So, uh, chapter two, verses one to four. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, you seek her as silver and search for as for hidden treasures. Okay, this is what we need to do to properly pursue wisdom. Later in the chapter, we talk about some of the values and benefits we'll get from wisdom. But here's how to receive it. And first of all, he says simply, My son, if you will receive my words. What's that saying? In order to get wisdom, what do we need? Listen. 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 What does it take to listen? Be willing to open ears. Be open, yeah. Takes an open mind, and it takes a willingness to recognize that wisdom is not just something we get from inside ourselves. Sometimes people are always looking inside themselves to figure out what they feel and think. But what we need to do is listen to our Father, and especially our Father, as He teaches us wisdom. And then He says, Treasure my commandments within you. What does that make you think to treasure the commandments within you? Keep it uh, written on your heart. Yeah. What would that do for you? <clears throat> if you always had him on your mind, always had his commandments on your mind, that will give you less room for sin. Yeah. It teaches you what to do in any given situation. It gives you less room for sin. It guides you. And, and when you treasure something, you really value it. And, and you make sure you keep it. It's not just a matter of... of some people are, are big on, well, I read my chapters today. Or I read my verses today. But did, did it stick with you? Did you really value it and treasure it and store it up to where you've got access to it? When Jesus was tempted, what did you do every time? It is written. He knew the scriptures and it protected it. Then he says in verse 2, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Pay attention. Concentrate. And seek to understand it. It's not just a matter of even memorizing it, though that's not a bad idea. But understand it. Really apply yourself. Really put your heart into it. If we're going to get wisdom, it takes real effort and work on our part. And these are the steps. Verse 3. If you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. What does that imply? We ask who? Wise people. Wise people and God. You pray about it. Seek it, be intense, be urgent, care about it. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures. Any of you ever mined silver? Um, nor I. But can you imagine what that would be like? There are other ways in which we've sought money. You know, what do people do when they want money? Work. How hard? Enough. Yeah, a lot. When you really want money, man, you'll do all kinds of stuff. And you'll really just pursue it, and you'll, you'll track it down, and you'll wear yourself out, and you'll maybe even do some really disgusting things because you want that money. we got to seek for wisdom like that, with that kind of intensity. You're not going to get wisdom if you're sort of a casual observer. Oh, I, I'd be interesting. I kind of like some. No, you've got to really want it. You've got to value God's wisdom above everything else and put yourself into getting it. Now, part of that means listening to wise people. Part of it means meditating. Part of it means you've got to put effort into knowing God's book. 
amazing. How, you know, I bet you most of you know something really well. Really, really, really well. Outside of the Bible, outside of spiritual things. What's something that you really, you really, really know well? Sports. Sports. What sport do you know the best? How much do you know uh, football stuff? What do you, what's for uh, college, pro? Pro. pro. Um, what do you know about pro football? I just like to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> do you know any names of anybody on any of the teams? How many people? A lot. A lot. Uh, do you know any of their stats? No, but you know the people. What would you say? Do you how many how many how many football players, pro football players, would you know by name? Um, I guess around like fifty or sixty or more. I bet more. Yeah. Hundreds. Yeah. Probably hundreds. Some of you may be sports. Some of you do some of you know sports stats? Well, who knows? You know some stats? Baseball stats. Yeah. I got a friend who knows like crazy, like the stats when they when the players were born and all this stuff. Wow. <laughs> I was thinking of like uh, you know pass efficiency or whatever. But um, are there some non-sports stuff you guys know well? What's something you know really well? Movies. Movies. Do some of you know movies well? Are there some? How many here? can, just off the top of your head, come up with quite a few lines of movies that you can just resize. Yeah. Most important. Yeah. I mean, how many of you know, you don't even have to raise your hand, but how many of you know a lot of actors and actresses and, and things like that? Yeah. What are some other things that you know, some of you know really well? Music. Music. How many of you, like, have maybe whole songs where you could just recite the song, you know, by memory? Quite a few, right? You know, and, uh, you know, you just know that stuff. You know, it's in your mind. How did you memorize the songs? You just listen to it all the time. You know, any of you ever just purposely set out, I'm going to memorize this song? No, you didn't. Did you? Well, maybe you have. Okay, I did several guesses, so go on for that one. You guys really like this stuff, don't you? Now, do you see the point? If you like something and care about it, you learn it. You know it, you eat it, you breathe it, you sleep it, you talk about it, and you learn it. Don't tell me you can't learn. There are some things you know so much about because you value them. You like them. And, and you, maybe you memorize it, maybe you worked at it, or maybe you just spent so much time with it and gave so much attention to it, it just becomes a part of you. Why not God's wisdom? Why not give that kind of attention and that kind of love and that kind of intensity toward knowing God's word? It's a shame, but I bet you anything that there are a lot of you who know more movie lines than you know verses of the Bible. And things like that. Now what's it going to take for us to really have God's word in our head? What are we going to do? A lot of time. We've got to care about it. We've got to pursue it. It's got to be important to us. You can just go back. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures... 
If you are that, you know, passionate about God's wisdom, you're going to make all kinds of time study. I'll tell you, you know, my experience, and and some of you, you know, have, have been here too. In fact, we might talk about that in a second. But, you know, I mean, I was probably like a lot of you maybe are or were. You know, I can remember being like 12, 13, 14. And, I mean, I was raised in a Christian home. I mean, I knew a lot about what I was supposed to do. And one of the things I knew I was supposed to do is read the Bible. And this is bad, but I thought it was really boring. I didn't like to read it. But I had a really strong conscience, and so it really bothered me. And I can remember over and over again making commitment. My commitment always was, I don't know why, but 30 minutes a day. But man, I was really bad about saying, well, I'll do an hour tomorrow. <laughs> you know, then it was an hour and a half. And, you know, I'd get to where every once in a while I'd grab myself a pardon and start over. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I did read it quite a bit, but not like I committed to most of the time. It's really weird. When I got about 15 or 16, things changed. I started understanding it better. I mean, making myself do it a good part of that time. I got started where I really liked it. I don't know. I don't, I don't really understand why. You know, it's kind of like developing a taste for something, I guess. But I got to where, honestly, and this, if you'd have, t- if you'd have told me I'd have done it, if that, when I was 13, if you'd have said this had happened, I'd have said never would, never would have happened. But by the time I was 16 or 17, like, I was trying to find time. I mean, I didn't have to make myself anymore. I wanted to. You know, I was taking and trying to find more free time because I wanted to study. That was really weird for me. It was really like, I can't believe I feel that way. But I did. I think for many of us, it's got to be like that. We're going to have to make ourselves pursue it and study it and just take the time. And one of these days, you're going to wake up and you're going to say, I can't get enough of this. I want this so much. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? I mean, have any of you experienced that? Or any of you to the point where, man, you really honestly like to study the Bible? John? I'm just like you. For the longest time, daily Bible reading was just a chore. And, you know, especially a lot of the Old Testament. And, and but, you know, that second time through, more the same. Third time through, some things started to click a little bit better. Outside studies in certain books really aided that. And then and then you go back, and now the fourth or fifth or more time through, now it's starting to make sense. And now I want to read. And I don't want to just read quickly so I can check the box. It's like, I don't really understand what this is saying. You know, even to read the tribal divisions has a, a, a small interest here. <laughs> wow! <laughs> like there's got to be something here that God wants me to know. Amen. So. Excellent. You know, Gary, when I, um, as most of you know uh, about my past, I wasn't raised uh, in a Christian home or going to church or anything. Um, and... Uh, and all I started skateboarding about 10 or 11, 12 years ago. And all I did, if I wasn't in school, I was skateboarding. You know what I mean? And then when I had to get a job eventually, I didn't get a job until I was 17. I kept putting it off because I did just waste time skateboarding. And, uh, and then I got a job. And then if I wasn't working or going to school, I was skateboarding. And then, but I mean, but I became a Christian when I was 18. And, um, and I'm 22 now, and I'll be 23 in July. And since through this time that I've been a Christian, um, I, uh, like, skateboarding was up here. And studying was done. Because I never read. I got to make, I got to say that I never read. Uh, well, I mean, when I was in school or growing up, I hated reading. And and uh, and now it's like skateboarding up here, and Bible study is here, and it just went like this through the years. And now I rarely have time to skateboard because I'd rather be. I'm either studying my own time, going in home study, you know, Bible studies or something. It's just you, like you said, it's just like you. Eventually, you realize once you realize who God is. And how great he is, and what he did, and when we really understand that, like he loved us so much that he gave his son for us, his only son. Once you understand, he's the God of your salvation, and he cares for you and wants to be there for you. That helps you so much to realize, I need to know God's word, not just to know it and just to teach it, but to understand it because it's his will. It's 
He is love, and He loves us and wants us to do what He wants to do. And I should want to do what's right and to please Him because He has done so much for me. And I'll never be able to pay back. The, I mean, I'm in debt forever because of His Son and what His Son did for me. But but I should strive the rest of my life on here on earth to be glorifying His name, whether in my own just studying and talking with Him or, or studying with others, you know, and trying to spread His word. You know what I mean? It's just... That should eventually be, it might be a force at the beginning, but eventually it should be because we want to do it, and that's our first priority. You know I mean, I'm not saying we can't have fun and go to ball games or do some other stuff, too, but I mean, but our first priority should always be a seat cotton. Anyway, great comments. Are there thoughts about that, Josh? Can I go back to what John said about, you know, we aren't just reading, you know, so we can check the box next to that, next to the reading plan for that. We're reading for a reason. Uh, we aren't reading just because we're told to know God's Word, just because we're told to read by our parents. But we're reading because we want to know something. We want to gain something. We want to know what we need to do with our lives. We want, we want to know something. And if we aren't reading for that reason, then what we're doing is really useless. And we're just wasting uh, what we have. We can do. It makes all the difference in the world when we really care. Josh. I think uh, just like how he was talking about how he used to skateboard more and then he worked his way up. And that's how we should be because a lot of times a lot of us might like sports and we might go to sports games more often than we read the Bible. Or we may watch TV which is a really big temptation. And there's so many temptations that lead us away from and we need to work on reading the Bible more than what we do those temptations. Amen. Cass? Going back to the things we're really into, the things we really, really love are the things we're going to talk about the most. And that's why sometimes whenever we're with just people, the things you really love are going to talk about. I mean, that's that. And we should make God the number one thing we talk about to Amen. Good comments. Encouraging. Larry. Uh, yeah, I think in these verses 1 through 4, we see that wisdom is going to be hard to win in the sense of it is a it is a crying out as a You know, in chapter 1, we see, come, let us get easy game. Let us kill. Let us do something. We, we are people that want things to come easy. We want what's many times what's right off the top, and yet wisdom and this relation with God many times is a difficult, lifelong process. You know, I think about think about this story of Jesus turning the water into wine. You know, there's a statement that's made. It says, you have saved the very best for last. Um, you know, you think about Satan. Satan gives us the very best at first. To win is it's kind of like a, a, a drug addict, you know, or somebody pushing cocaine or whatever. They give you this for free because when you become an addict, then they have you. And that's the way sin is. So the Lord often saves the best for last. And so it is a walk that is continuous. It is diligent. You know, Jesus often thinned the crowd. He, he would speak parables of the parables and never tell people what it meant. And the few would stand behind him and say, you know, what does this mean? Jesus was sifting the seekers from the non-seekers, those who really want Him and those who really are diligent and those who are not. You know, when I was learning to play guitar, I sat, when I, I determined, when I, was, I left the Lord and I determined I was going to be a rock star, and I'd sit for hours and hours and run through scales. Ow! And my fingers would, would be, and finally I built calluses, and I was determined I was going to be a great guitar player. Now I wasn't, but I, 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 I gave it after. But that's what I wanted to do. Absolutely. What you spend time with demonstrates what you care about. Absolutely. Jacob. You know, kind of um, building on what Larry said um, about how we're serious about things that we like. You know, let's say that we go to a sporting event. We want to be on the front row. We want to be there before the game so that we can see the practices and get a look at all the players. We want to stay after the game and enjoy the atmosphere as much as we can. Now, we should be like that at church. We should want to be in the front where we can pay the most attention and hear the preacher the best and just make sure that we're focused 
we should want to be there early so we can and stay late so we can talk to people. And we need to be serious like that. Amen. Great point. Good comments. It's encouraging. Yes, Ariel. About what we were talking about with like Bible study and everything, like isn't there also something to be said for like you can't, you won't start liking it until you start doing it. So sometimes you do have to just make yourself even if you don't want to. Yes. So it's not totally a waste of time, like just doing it because you need to. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. I'd go back to Larry. Larry, how much fun was it to play those scales until your fingers hurt? Not fun at all. But why did you do it? You want to be the rock star. <laughs> but I won't do anything for that. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of times that we do things that we don't enjoy the thing as much as we want the result. I don't think, some of you play ball, football, whatever, you know, I can't imagine that football practices are fun. Yeah, Jonathan's weird. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't get all that, but is the weightlifting... Is the weightlifting fun? Yes, actually, I kind of like that. There are people who like anything. Do you see the point? So often, we have to really pursue something that we don't enjoy to get the goal. Now, I think what you're seeing with Jonathan and, and different ones is you actually, you start pursuing something for the goal, and pretty soon you may really enjoy something that most people would think is really stupid. How can you possibly enjoy it? And that's exactly the way it'll be with Bible study. You pursue it, and you make yourself, because you want the goal. You want the wisdom, even if you hate the study. You know, I know there are plenty of people who don't like to read, who don't like to sit still, who don't like to concentrate. It's not what we're used to. It's not our environment. And so it's hard, and it's not fun. You have to just make yourself. But I think what will happen for most of us, if we really will ourselves, I'm going to do it, I'm going to make myself do it, and I'm going to care about it, it will eventually become a passion. You will eventually start doing things that you didn't think you would do. You know, you will get to where you may not like reading anything else, but you actually love to read the Bible. I mean, I, I didn't mind reading some kinds of things. You know, as a kid, I loved a good mystery story. I read all the mystery stories in the school library. You know, that wasn't a whole lot, but I read them. I liked them. I didn't find the Bible to be the same way. You know, but then, as I made myself, it got to where I really liked it. And, you know, it's a whole lot better than a mystery story. So make yourself do it until you get to where you want to. Great. I can really think about the Bible. The Bible has so many stories like that. Like we, we like the action story, or like the romance story, or whatever you like. You know, it's all in the Bible. You know what I'm saying? It's all this. Amen. Shane. You know, I don't know if you guys have any ideas, but we have it. I'll get one out anyway. I think there's, I think there's ten words. Verse 25, there's 10 words, 10 verbs, I guess, that I think explain what we need to do with wisdom. In verse 1, you receive it and treasure it. And 2, you incline your ear to it and you apply it. Um, in verse 3, you cry out for it and lift up your voice for it. In verse 4, you seek and search for it. And in verse 5, you understand and find it. And I think that also goes in, in kind of a step-by-step process. If you receive wisdom and treasure it, you're going to want to incline your ear to it and apply it to your heart. And if you apply it to your heart and you apply your ear to it, you're going to want more. You're going to cry out and lift your voice towards it. And you're going to cry out so much more. You're going to seek and search, and then you will come to understand and find it. And I think those things, that we can do those things with the Lord, if we can apply those ten verbs and those, those things to our lives, it is a step-by-step process. And so we're sure the what we're saying. The more you do it, the more you, you, you step-by-step study these things or pray or whatever else, it becomes where you'll understand and find it, and you'll love it. I think that, that principle... Is very much should be a part of our lives, and we should apply it. Amen. Look at what he says in this next section. This is really like what you get from it. Five through eight. 
Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Now, this is a result I wouldn't really have expected. The thing you get when you diligently seek for wisdom is what? You get the Lord. I would have thought you'd have gotten wisdom. But what you really get is the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. When we seek wisdom, it leads us to the Lord. What a blessing that is. You know, it leads us to really know God. Because, verse 6, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. That means this, there's a deep connection between wisdom and the Lord. If we pursue the wisdom, we'll come to know the Lord. Because the wisdom comes from his mouth. Now, if we're just thinking about the Bible here. The thing that's amazing about the Bible is, it is God speaking to us. It is exactly the word that he communicated to us. And so it's a way for us to come to know God and to be close to God. That's the blessing we get out of this. You'll fear and know God. He's the one who stores up sound wisdom for the upright. You know, and, and he will bless us as we pursue wisdom. You know, he will protect us, he'll direct us, he'll guide us in the paths of justice. So, you know, because God is the it's it, it's God's very mouth that gives us this wisdom, that if we pursue the wisdom, we're going to find the Lord. That's a cool thing. Comments and thoughts through verse 8. Kind of with what Kitty said with the last chapter, that if we do these things, we will find destruction. We will find these bad things. It's the same way if we're doing the right things. If we're doing everything that we see in 1 through 4, in verse 5, we will find understanding. We will find the fear of the Lord. Absolutely. It is the path that leads where we want to go. It's got that reward at the end. John? I'd like to read a passage from Job 28 where Job talks about this very same thing. In Job 28 beginning verse 12, he says, But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. And the sea says, it's not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned, and the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and Death say, With our ears we have heard a report of it. God understands its way and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens when he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure, when he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and also searched it out and said, and to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Excellent. Yeah. How much is wisdom worth? And what does it give you? Really helpful to think about those things. Meditate on them. And it ought to give us a lot more energy and enthusiasm for pursuing wisdom and seeking it. Other thoughts, Mindy? Yeah, I think that's a good 
it's helpful to think that wisdom is not a secular pursuit. There's a lot of people in the world, and maybe especially in the educational system, professors and whatever, who think that you can find wisdom apart from the Lord. And that's just not true. The things that they are seeking after are not wisdom if they don't include the Lord. Amen. That's exactly right. You know, I mean, it's nice to know some stuff that people tell you, but it's nothing like the stuff you get from God. Look at another conclusion. Here's another result, 9 through 11. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, uh, equity and every good path. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will uh, preserve you. Understanding will keep you. Okay, here's what you'll get. Then you'll discern righteousness, justice, equity, and every good course. Wisdom will give you an understanding of the right thing to do. You'll know what's right in different situations. Because wisdom will enter your heart. It's not just going to be a head thing. It's going to actually it's going to actually go deeply into you. And it will get to where it will guide you. It will, you know, this it's interesting to think about how wisdom will be a, a, a directing force and will give us uh, an understanding of what we ought to do and what we ought to say in different situations. I pray for wisdom a lot. Pretty much every day. Um, but you know one of the things that you learn from this is God answers that prayer often by you knowing His Word and His Word becomes so treasured up in you that you, you know, some situation occurs and you think, let's see, that reminds me of this situation, this Bible character faced, and this was the thing that he did that was wrong or that was right. But that reminds me of these passages where God says, here's how I ought to handle this, and here's what I ought to say and do, and so forth. So that's what we really need. We need the wisdom to guide us practically and to direct us in the way we ought to go. He says in verse 11, discretion will guard you and understanding will watch over you. You know, this is kind of like getting character protection. You know, the wisdom will guard and guide us and it will protect us. And help us, you know, do the right thing. So, we get just really awesome blessings and benefits out of wisdom. Comments and thoughts. When I pray for wisdom, the next thing I know, I'm in a tight spot. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's my problem. <laughs> Sometimes the Lord has uh, interesting ways of grounding our prayers. And we learn from those tight spots. Michael? I was just going to say, so many times we think about the quote-unquote blessings that come with the lack of wisdom, with not pursuing uh, godly traits. But in, in the long run, they are blessings, they're cursings. And that's why it's so important for us to value His Word. Because whenever we trust in ourselves, then we are going down a path in which... What, we're, what we think of is for our own benefit is not. Because God is the true source of wisdom. He's the one who cares about us and wants to lead us on that right path. Amen. Good points. Other comments and thoughts on this section? You pursue wisdom, then you'll receive God, and then you'll know the right thing to do in situations, and it'll really protect you. Shame. You know, boys, uh, really get me thinking about something. You know, so many times 
I want to ask God for wisdom, but yet not say, I want the wisdom, but please don't give me a hard situation. Like, help me to learn it without having to go through the pain of learning it. And that's the way I know you do it, just raise the time to pray for patience, and God's going to give you a situation where you're going to have to have patience. And so many times I'm in a way that I don't want to have to deal with that, I just want to take it. You know, I, want, I want the end of it. And I think that's, that's me wanting the benefit of the Lord, but not the effort that it takes to get there. And I think, you know, 1 Peter 2.21, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in this path. Here we are, wanting the benefits of, uh, of Christ without the suffering that also And I think that's an interesting point to think about, is the fact that if you want wisdom, it's going to take pushing yourself and discipline, and even sometimes suffering, and even sometimes dealing with situations that might not be covered. Every good thing we want takes some effort to get there and some pain to get there. Other thoughts? Can we do have to keep seeking it. Um, because then you go by your memory and and uh, it's just not there. So you can't lose it. If you, if you don't use it, you lose it. Excellent point, yes. We must continue to pursue it. Remember, these principles help the wise people get wiser. We never have enough wisdom. We always need to be pursuing it. Alright. Um, look at some of the specific things wisdom will keep us away from. Um, Proverbs 2, verses 12 to 15. To deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and, and who are devious in their paths. So what will this wisdom do for us? from this evil way from the man who speaks perverse things. It'll protect us from this wicked path, this wicked man. Now I want you to think about it. How can you first detect a wicked person? Their actions? Sometimes often you first detect it though in what they say. You know, a dirty mind often first shows up in dirty speech. And you can see by what they say they're perverted and they're wicked. Wisdom will keep you away from that evil person and the evil path. These are the people who leave the right path, the straight path, to walk in the ways of darkness. And he describes them in verse 14 as people who delight in doing evil. Do you know people like that? They just love wickedness. And when they love wickedness, what do they want you to do? Yeah, they want it for you too. They're trying to share all the wickedness they can. There are people like that. That they just are trying to egg you on to be worse. You know, to them, being bad is the, is the goal. And, and that's what these guys are like. They just crave it. And look at what their paths are like in verse 15. How are they? Crooked. They're crooked. What's that say? Not straight. Not straight. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Not right. Not right. Dishonest. Dishonest. Wrong. Wrong. I think they're hard, too. They're difficult. They're more difficult. Yes, they are. They, you know, they're shifty, they're devious. Um, you lose your sense of direction. You start following the wicked man, and you're going so many directions. You're going back and doubling back and going around. You completely lose your whole orientation. You don't know where you're at. That's the thing about this wicked person's path. Pretty soon you're lost. You're confused. You don't have. You don't know where you're going. You don't know which way to even get back to the right way. So when somebody talked about the uh, a few minutes ago about the, you know like detour and saying, well, I'm just taking this little bike path. Well, no, pretty soon, <laughs> like I do when I take a shortcut. Well, I think this one and this, if I took and this, and pretty soon, who knows where I am? Not I. And uh, that's that's where this evil man's path will take us. 
Uh, we'll just we'll just lose all sense of direction. No, God's ways are direct, are forthright, they're tough. But you go straight to the goal. It's so much better, so much more secure. God's wisdom will deliver you from the wicked man and his crooked ways. Comments and questions? Right. Um, yeah, I, I was half joking, but I was also kind of half serious. I guess when I said it this straight, because I guess anytime I read, I, I, the more I study, the more I read things about, you know, things the, the ways of the, the wicked being crooked and stuff. And, and, uh, and I always relate it to uh, what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, when he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And I mean, when I, when I think of the idea of narrow, straight, of being, you know, narrow-minded and on the straight path, and I mean, we talk of, of these, uh, getting off by an exit ramp, or a detour, or these other pathways and stuff, and it, it's just all these other broad ways, and we don't keep the focus on seeing the one path, and it's leading to God, you know, and we get, we get, our mind gets so um, filled up with, with the world and other people and what other people are doing in this world, and we take all these other paths and these other, uh, we get off the main highway and we get off all these exit ramps and we're going other places, and it's like, we need to understand, he's saying it, it, that those ways are crooked, you know, I mean, we need to go, we need to stay straight, we need to stay narrow, and so, I mean, so, uh, uh, I just think that the, that's important for us to keep that focus, you know, I mean, to stay on that one path and not be led away by other people. Good point, Patrick. Um, I don't know how many of us here are familiar with Madison. What Madison's up, there's the hilltop and then there's downtown. Well, the older roads to get downtown, you know, they wind with the hill. You know, and you had, they couldn't do anything better. They just had to wind with the curve of the hill. And it was really curvy all the way down. Well, there's a newer road that's almost like an interstate, just straight down, you know, gradual curve. It's really nice. Now, I'll tell you, there are more accidents. There's more danger on the paths that wind and, you know, dip and dive. And, you know, some of these some of these turns are crazy. They actually had to close one road down a few years ago. But this interstate, this new road, you know, God has paid this interstate for us. And he's made our paths straight. And if we're wise, we're going to want to take that path. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, good point. Jacob. You know, um... This whole idea of staying on the path, it's like if you're running like a cross-country race, like, you know, I mean, you'll, you'll be tempted to stop, you'll be tempted to just give up, but you can't, you have to keep going, you can't, you know, you can't try to take a shortcut, because then you'll get disqualified. <laughs> you done that before? No. no. <laughs> but, um, you, you know, and it's, there's so many things that are challenges when you're running a race, you know. You know, especially when you smell food and it just really makes you sick. <laughs> things that don't really go the way that you want. But you just have to keep on this. Amen. You gotta pursue the goal. You gotta run hard and straight for the finish line. Josh. The same idea as that as if you're running a race and uh, say you're on a track and you're running it and you're in lane two. And oftentimes you look at lane three and think that that, or lane one, and think that that one's so much shorter. <laughs> and so you want to cut off into that lane. But it's like if we're running the race uh, towards heaven, are we going to try to cut into somebody else's lane to take a shorter way? The Lord's way is the only one there is, isn't it? Exactly. Good point. Other thoughts? Say. another blessing we get out of following the path of wisdom. 
doesn't just deliver us from the way of the evil man, but 16 to 19. To deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth, and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house leads down to death, and her paths to the deep, to the dead. No, none of who go to her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. All right. So this also delivers us from this immoral, wicked woman. He's going to talk a lot in Proverbs, particularly in the first few chapters, about this wicked woman. I'm going to make a comment, I'll probably make it a couple more times, I'm not going to pursue it. I think there's some senses in which this wicked woman is a personification of evil, of folly, things like that. But I'm going to look at this in the literal sense, because I think it's probably uh, going to be more helpful to us in that way. And I think that he does intend for us, certainly also, to apply this in this way. Uh, he's speaking very specifically. He's, kind of, he's, he's talking about the wicked man and now the wicked woman. So you think about this uh, immoral woman. What's her technique here? To try to seduce the man. Yes. What she says. Now we will have occasion to revisit that several times in Proverbs. You wouldn't necessarily think that. But she conquers more men by what she says than by what she does. Or even what she wears. Because men are very vulnerable to having their ego stroked. And you take this woman, and I'm thinking now about maybe you're married, and you've got your wife, but there's this woman you have contact with at work or wherever, and she starts gradually telling you how much you mean to her. How wise you are, how thoughtful you are, how compassionate you are, how much she needs you, how much she depends on you, and then it goes on from there, and it gets deeper, and you know, and you, you don't recognize, this is all part of the devil's trap, he's drawing you in by what she says to you, so God's wisdom will deliver us from this woman with these very entrapping words. She leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. The marriage covenant is a covenant with God. And and she just recklessly destroys the commitment that she made. She's only caring about her own personal gratification. And it's a good thing to have the wisdom to deliver us from this woman because what happens if you follow her? Death. Death. And look at verse 19. What happens to the people who go into her house? Don't return. Never come back. It's a one-way ticket to destruction. You know, it's a good idea to know the rocks on which the other ships have, have suffered shipwreck. Avoid them. And you see she's had a lot of victims. And they've just all gone into her house and never been seen again. You'll, you'll reach the end of life faster through her house than any other way. So, God's wisdom you needed to keep you away from the wicked man and from the wicked woman. Comments and thoughts on this? Larry. This this passage has always kind of said something to me about, you know, her house leads to those who who go there and never return again. You know, in the Garden of Eden, Satan appealed to Eve and, and God had given her life and 
you know, told her what to do, not to, so that she wouldn't die. And yet, you know, Satan said, you know, that the day that you get, you'll, you'll be able to see good and evil. And Eve tasted the fruit, and then she, she saw, she saw what it really meant. And, and I think a lot of times when, when we eat evil, it's and, and it'll take it. We're, we're never the same. I mean, young young people get involved in sexual sin. It, it, it does something. It does. It, it, it's and I, and I guess the best way I can explain it is when my children were young. You know, they you see your children look at you as you know, mommy and daddy said you did no wrong. They they looked at you through adoring eyes, and it seems like since they get become teenagers, they begin to look at you more with suspicious eyes, and, and sometimes it's because of that maybe poor parenting that we do, but, you know, it's it's now that they they know, and it's it's almost like their outlook towards you has changed, and it's, and, and so it seems like to me when we, when we taste these things, we, and get involved in it, it, it does something to us, and we're not the same, and it's just a, a dirty... You explain to I think everybody here knows what I'm saying in degrees, but to get involved in this, it's, it, you're just never the same. It's like you're a dead person. Unfortunately. Oh, flattery. I think a lot of times we just think too much about what other people say about us. Because like, like, I know I've said things complimenting other people with false motives, like to flatter them, and like, you know, we just think about what people say about us too much. Flattery is a trap. Other thoughts? I think it's interesting because this place of death is normally a place that we would think of being a, a shelter, perhaps, or perhaps a safe place. You know, usually when we think of death, you know, we kind of think of that ambush site that I was talking about earlier. But here we need to be careful, even in the, quote, safe places, even in the places where we think we should feel comfortable in our homes or in certain places, we need to make sure that we're still on guard against people trying to bring us down. This might mean, you know, perhaps even in our own homes, or perhaps in our own schools, or perhaps even in the church, that we make sure that we're on guard constantly. Um, I guess it's a good point. Yeah, good point. Look at 20 to 22. So you will walk in the way of the good, and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Alright, so here's the conclusion of seeking wisdom. You'll walk in the way of good men. Stay away from the evil men, the evil women, but you'll keep to the paths of righteousness. You'll be blessed, and you won't share in the wicked people being cut off and uprooted. I, the way of wisdom sometimes, as we've said, is difficult, but it's much better. It's the way we ought to go. It's, it's the way that blesses us if, if we'll go that way. So, pursue wisdom and receive a much better result, a much better reward. That's really chapter 2. Pushing us to pursue wisdom because wisdom will give us the Lord... It will help us know what to do. It will keep us away from the wicked man, the wicked woman. Bottom line, there's a much better destiny if we pursue wisdom. Comments and questions? Alright, can I get us to take a somewhat shorter break uh, this time, a little bit shorter. Uh,